spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney, make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusions apply. See store or jcp.com for details. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And And my my trowel. Hello, you're listening to episode three of And My Trowel, where we look at the fantastic things in archaeology and the archaeological things in fantasy. I'm Ash. And I'm Tilly. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at ghosts. (laughs) Spooky. (laughs) Everyone understands really what a ghost is. I don't think we need to kind of explain what a ghost is, maybe. Um, well, but usually... might be good, just in case. <laughs> okay, just a little bit then. Okay, so, well, they're usually a spooky spectre that haunts hallowed halls and often terrorizes the living in many, many medias. Many of us know the classics, you know, poltergeist, residual hauntings, intelligent hauntings, or maybe that's just me because I just watched too much TV, um, shadow people, or even orbs. We've seen the films, we've watched TV. So, did you know there's other types of ghosts, though? Hmm. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah. They are specific to places and homes and even objects. Ooh. Yeah. We actually hear a lot about them through our own like oral histories and folklore. So, Tilly, I want to ask you, what's your favourite ghost story? You know, funnily enough, I don't actually know that many ghost stories. What? But when you mentioned <laughs> some ghosts are attached to specific places, etc., it made me think of a Terry Pratchett book. <laughs> Of course. Oh, there you go. <laughs> um, where, yeah, you have ghosts in there as well. And indeed, they are always attached to the place where they've died. So they can't move from the place where they've died, basically. But where no, they've died, yeah. I don't really know many ghost stories necessarily. I'm trying to think of some, but I don't think it was ever really anything that I was... I wasn't quite as into the more paranormal side, shall we say. Mm-hmm. See, I was more into the kind of... Dragons. <laughs> Dragons. <laughs> da, 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 da. And knights and daz- was yeah. it damsels in distress. <laughs> exactly. Well, although actually one of my favorite first series was the Song of the Lioness series by Tamora uh, Pierce, cool. where yeah. the damsel is the knight. So, you know. So changing it up, switching it up. No. Like it. Exactly. So you don't have a ghost story? I can tell you one of my favorite ghost stories. I was about to say, please, please tell me a ghost story. <laughs> okay. Mine's actually, well, I'm from Newcastle. I'm from Northumberland and we actually have quite a lot of ghost stories around there. It's the one thing that we do have. We don't have any other kind of folklore other than dragons, weirdly enough, worms. Oh, hey. But mine is Lucius of Milecastle 20, uh, 42, sorry. <laughs> Have you heard of Lucius of Milecastle? I have not heard of Lucius of Milecastle. It doesn't really roll off the tongue, I must admit. Lucius of Milecastle 42. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's on Hadrian's Wall. Okay. Um, Hadrian's Wall is extremely haunted, apparently, according to people. And essentially, this Roman soldier still patrols Hadrian's Wall around Milecastle 42. So you actually see him walking around. And sometimes he has no legs because Uh the ground has shifted and changed. Or sometimes he's actually way above you as if he's standing on the wall. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, there's God. a story that he fell in love with a local Briton. I don't know how real this story is, but <laughs> and then you know she kind of tricked him into giving them some secrets about mm. from the Romans and all that kind of stuff. Oh, and no. They stormed uh, the Mile Castle, and uh, he unalived himself. And ah. but he still patrols in death, which what he could not protect in life. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I have to ask, by the way, just mm-hmm. quickly. Do you believe in ghosts? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I think there's a lot of things. Maybe they're just more echoes of a past mm. because you can see I've, I've had some haunting haunting experiences and in, in, uh, I've worked in a few haunted places. Okay. Well, and I've seen some ghostly lights. Mm. But that's about it. What about you? I, I'm afraid probably not. Like just because yeah. I haven't, I don't think I've ever really experienced anything that I could consider ghostly i mean i am afraid of the dark and i know i've just admitted that as an adult yeah. on a podcast that lots of people listen to but i am i'm afraid of the dark i always I mean, have dark scary it's, scary. Um, it's i think it has to do with because i'm claustrophobic so i think it's that feeling of like not really I'm knowing impression. what's out yeah. there and then so but then i think that that's more than that that's the sort of fear rather than like spookiness of of there being ghosts if that makes sense i think it's a very natural norman norm norman i think it's a, a a really normal fear to have actually i think it's quite a like a residual fear from from prehistory even where in the dark you know there'd be a lot of monsters Um, there'd be a lot of wild animals and things and it would be a terrifying experience to be in the dark especially if you didn't have glasses and I constantly wear glasses (sighs) so that would be really really and I have astigmatism so all the lights and when I take my glasses off go everywhere so if I was sitting by a fire and I could just see some glittering eyes looking at me from across the way I would yeah that that would would not be good for me yeah no, yeah. So I understand that. <laughs> yeah, and that's also why I don't think I'd actually do well in a fantasy book because you also yeah. usually don't have like bright Indo lights. Plumbing. <laughs> so. Indo plumbing, bright lights, no glasses. Yeah, exactly. I'm not very good in a battle. <laughs> yeah. So this is why, as an archaeologist, being sent to this fantasy world, it's fine. I'm enjoying it, but like, I'm just going to stay in my little. It's quite office. scary, and yeah, I'm a bit scared of ghosts. So yeah. We're going to have a good time today, I think. Excellent. (laughs) So I'm going to give you a scenario, okay? Uh Mm -hmm. Just imagine Tilly, okay? You're in Mm -hmm. the middle of a field. You're Mm -hmm. surrounded by open countryside. It's in the daylight, so don't worry. Good. That's about to ask. We've just spoken about this. (laughs) Please, I don't want to be in the dark. (laughs) Um, A trench cuts through a Bronze Age burial mound. The scent of mossy earth and damp sand fills your senses. There's curbstones that ring the burial that you just exposed. They're beautiful. A little bit like hogbacks pushing from the soil. But the most important thing is you've uncovered a central burial. It's a kissed burial, okay? So you and your team, you're ready to move the capstone. You can't be bothered to wait for the digger. So you're huffing under the weight and you slide it across, exposing an ancient skeleton with lots of fat stains, because that's always there, and something catches Mm. your eye. It's dark, even against the loamy sand that's in the burial. It's a jade necklace. It sits below a yellowed skull. A rumble echoes across the mound. Lightning strikes the sky. A figure appears, ghostly in appearance, and the jade necklace sits proudly against its transparent collarbone. Your mouth opens in shock as the ghost speaks, Get your dirty hands off my grave goods, bone kicker. Shoo. <laughs> so, you've got to go. I like that it has a very northern accent. 
I, I, I imagined that it was like a northern chieftain or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> yeah. So you've got this scenario. Mm-hmm. What do you think? The concept of ghosts, right? Mm-hmm. How have they evolved over time? Well, so yeah, so this ghost has sort of appeared to me, but I imagine, like you sort of mentioned before, that idea of it's not even necessarily ghosts. I guess it would have been something more akin to what we would think of as spirits, or mm-hmm. uh, which I suppose is another word for ghosts in a lot of places mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, a lot of cultures nowadays still have that association of kind of the spirit world and um, needing to be respectful of the the natural spirits of nature and of animals. So that's definitely something that's still gone. But in terms of ghosts, I'm assuming we're talking about ghosts as like the spectral figures of people that have died um, at some point. Uh, yeah, well, this past, ghost yeah. in particular, it seems like it's attached to a necklace, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, a specific mm-hmm. jade necklace that was found mm-hmm. in the burial. Mm-hmm. So it comes from, so if you move that necklace away, it would mm. probably follow it you can around. Go with it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I'm taking it back to like the archives to be mm-hmm. catalogued, it's just still there, going like, I forgot, you can't, you, "What are you doing? Let <laughs> go of my necklace. <laughs> Mine." Yeah, exactly. So it's a territorial ghost mm-hmm. that is attached to an object, and it it thinks that it owns it owns that object. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But before we get onto that, I want to ask you, as an archaeologist. Have you ever encountered an idea of ghosts within Hmm. your work? Well, if we're thinking about ghosts in terms of being able to see the people in the past, I guess you could stretch to say sort of yes, because I did specialised in uh, use wear. And I think I mentioned this in our first episode that uh, one of my favorite traces is these handling traces where you can literally see where someone's held like onto an yes, object. Yeah. And so that kind of thing, right? Like you can look at all sorts of different objects and you can see how they were held, how they were used. So in that way, you are almost seeing the sort of ghostly hand of the person from the past using that object as you kind of do the analysis. So I suppose I in love that, that way. That's really cool. Right? Yeah. It's sort of almost you're looking at the ghosts. <laughs> yeah. There is a whole concept of like ghost signs and uh, on buildings and things that I was thinking of oh. that you find. So if you're doing like a historical like housing recording. Mm-hmm you see these signs or you see like changes in the way that someone's built something and that's the hands of it. Yeah. That's so interesting that one object could be attached to so many different people and different ways of using that object as well. Do you mean like when you see a sort of a building that's got like brickwork to here and then suddenly it's stones that have overtaken yeah. that bit. And or yes, like I love that as signs. well. Where you see, Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. an old sign that's like, I don't know, Morrison's Grocers, <laughs> like that. And then it's been paved over, changed, but the old sign is still underneath the new sign and that building is, is shifted in ownership, but the sign's still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so no, I really like that. there's kind of some questions there, isn't there, that you've brought up. So you've kind of talked about how you're interacting with ghosts. So you interact with ghosts in kind of artifacts, right? Yes. You're talking to about artifacts. But when we interact with ghosts in this situation, we've got a ghost right next to us screaming at us about their jade necklace. Right, yeah. Where did they come from? <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, we have found a body there. So I suppose the ghost is attached to a body. And then there's that whole thing of the the afterlife and that lots of big graves. And especially you said this was like a big 
burial. I mean, I don't know how how big it was. And we were talking in the last episode about like these big Iron Age burials where they have like horses and chariots and all sorts of things with them, which I assume definitely was these are their objects. Like they own these objects. So they're kind of taking them with them to the afterlife or to the next realm or the world after or whatever you want to call it. That conspicuous consumption of goods, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So yeah, you're in the right kind of ballpark. So it's a kissed burial. So you've got your kind of your different slabs, your four slabs either side, you've got a capstone and inside it, you have this kind of crunched up (laughs) skeleton Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, in the fetal position. There's no nice way to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Mm, Yum. (laughs) Lots of like fat around them Mm. usually, uh, depending on the soil. And there's this necklace, this one grave goods. There's only this one thing. There's Mm. no pots, oddly enough. There should be pots, but there's no pots. (laughs) And there's just this one object that it's attached to. So it's actually not sort of attached to its body. If you're moving the object around and then it says it owns it but if it doesn't have a body can someone own something oh i mean now we're getting into the whole Uh tomb robbing thing a little bit not really but like sort of so one of the big things that i think a lot of people say negatively about archaeology like a lot of the the problems that people have with archaeology is it's sort of i'll leave the dead in peace you know like leave Mm -hmm. the dead to rest so i guess from that perspective you could say well yeah the dead are still there and it's their stuff so we shouldn't be we shouldn't be digging it up. I mean, yeah, it's the whole problem of like who owns who owns, who owns the past. It? Yeah, who owns <laughs> um, the past? exactly. And what do you do with those grave goods? <sighs> yeah, I guess it depends. This is so. Yeah, it, it's interesting to to chat about this from a. If we're looking at so this where was this grave again? This was in oh it's it's unspecified, but I'm assuming for example that it is not related to, for example, a modern indigenous group, or there's, it's like a, a culture that is not necessarily intrinsically linked with a culture that still exists today. No. So yeah. I actually based this scenario off a scenario that I had. Ah, <laughs> um, because I was digging, it was when I was at uni, and I mm-hmm. was digging a burial site, a mound. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, I think it was probably Bronze Age. Looking back on it, I had no idea. I was just digging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there was a psychic on the dig with me. Who was really? Like, yeah, was working alongside me, and mm-hmm. you know we'd been prodding her for a while, being like, "Come on, tell us some stuff." <laughs> <laughs> and one day she just turned to me and she was like, "Ashley," and I was like, "Yes." <laughs> the man that's buried here doesn't like what you're doing right now, <gasps> and I was right over the top of the burial. Oh. <laughs> And I went, okay, okay. <laughs> I can't do anything about it. Because <laughs> I'm just an undergrad student and yeah. I don't know how to do And she just left it at that. No other, there was nothing else. That's all she said. And it, it, freaked, it did freak me out a little bit because you do think about, especially as an archaeologist, when you're digging up burials, I think you can be extremely you know, professional and you can have your archaeological hat on and you're thinking, mm. oh, look at this and the soil and the stratigraphy and look how everything's going. I'm going to need to sample this, I need to sample that. Mm. Um, you have to be very careful around um, the body and the bones and the fragility of them. Uh, but I think there is a bit of a human kind of emotion to it when you're digging Definitely. up the burial. When you're seeing it's carefully laid out, that grave goods aren't necessarily always attached Mm. to that person in life they might be specifically made like we talked about in our previous episodes like the venus Mm. of willendorf and stuff specifically made for ritual ritual (laughs) ritual and so it's kind of difficult to 
sit there and think, oh, this is just a head in yeah. my hands. Yeah. You know, when it's actually a person, what was their last thoughts and what were their last memories? I guess, indeed, that's the sort of issue almost of the, on the one hand, there's this kind of the so-called positivism, processualism, which I guess I think we're also going to go into in a, in a later episode, but this idea of being very scientific and very mm-hmm. rigid and very, uh, yeah, almost cold, I guess, when looking at the past. So you're just seeing it as data. Whereas yes. then, yeah, then you have the more kind of post-processual almost way of looking at things, which gives people their own agency, gives people their own kind of life, I guess, and that way of seeing people as more human. Um, Which is extremely difficult if in this scenario, you have a ghost standing over you claiming that mm -hmm. everything in that grave belongs to them. (sighs) So I think what we're going to have to do... (laughs) It's really to have a, a consult the scrolls, have a think on this question, rule for initiative, and come back. Okay. Hang on, I got my dice here. Okay. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back. So we looked through the schools. We rolled for initiative. (coughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, It seems that the most interesting way we could approach ghosts is through the archaeological concept of ownership and material bodies. But what do you mean by ownership in this case? Well, looking at my scrolls, the definition of ownership is quite hard to define. Um, It relates to a number of different theories, including provenance, which is the chronology of ownership of a historical object. But mostly ownership is the concept of owning a static object. Mm. However, it's the who, perhaps not the what, of ownership that isn't easily answered. Oh, okay. So it's sort of who owns it is actually quite a complicated concept. 
Yeah, it's extremely complicated. So I actually do have a little quote here, some development. Oh, I, love a quote. Mm-hmm. I know, we've got <laughs> quotes. This is from Anne Kilbrew. In 2017, she did a kind of looking at curation and ownership and repatriation, um, especially. And she says that artifacts have variously been considered the property of, respectfully, archaeologists. Um, the country where they were found, the communities that live near them, the world, the living creatures who past is represented by them, museums which house artifacts, and even the collectors who purchase them illegally or illegally. What's oh. that? Hmm. So even if someone has like robbed a tomb and taken it, then they like they could still be considered the owner of that illegally robbed item. Yeah. <sighs> That does sound complicated. (laughs) That is very complicated, isn't it? What I liked specifically from this quote was that it was the living cultures whose past is represented by them. Hmm. So if you have a ghost and they do not have a body to physically own something, even though they're wearing it in death, Hmm. does that mean that that culture, even though it is their culture, can no longer claim ownership to that artifact? Because they're technically not living. Yes. But they are still inherently tied to it yes. in some way because it's similar. And this relates very nicely, I guess, to last week's, uh, last two weeks episode, or whenever it was, the last episode was, I've lost track of time. <laughs> the last episode. Um, <laughs> this relates to the last episode where you had object agency and that you automatically kind of associated maybe particular objects with particular people. So that could also mm-hmm. be something that this jade necklace, you look at it and you go, ah, this is the bloody blah jade necklace and it's always going to be related to that person yeah exactly and this ghost in particular is attached to that object so does it uh, does the object actually own the ghost or the ghost own the object and if it's a living culture if there was if there was a representative culture that was from them even though they're in the bronze age Mm. they would have more claim over it than the actual ghost who was wearing it Mm. yeah (laughs) which yeah, I guess sort of links a little bit to the ideas of, of repatriation of cult, like different cultural objects that is going on at the moment, like especially, for example, with indigenous cultures in the modern day who want to reclaim objects that were taken and stolen from their land in the past, because even though technically you could argue it's owned by the person who stole it, it's not because it's still related to the living culture that is kind of descendant communities of the person that was buried with that object if that makes sense <laughs> yeah and i suppose there's a scale of ownership there that you're implying because i would think as an archaeologist repatriation is always the priority for me mm-hmm. anyway i know that some other archaeologists and archaeological disciplines don't necessarily agree with that but i think if you have a higher tie to that object then of course you should be the one that has it like for instance museums if you have a museum and the site itself was found in that local area and that's a local museum then i think it should go to the local museum then it should before it should go to a bigger museum mm, yeah which, which is difficult yeah <laughs> and which i think we're we're entering a whole tangled, yes, web, tangled of, web of political <laughs> intrigue now <laughs> hey it's fantasy man it's gonna be tangled hey. that's the thing. so does this in this scenario does the, ro- the person's role or identity it's been altered okay they no longer have a corporeal body but they have cognition very similar to our previous episodes mm. we're talking about golems so they have co- cognition a ghost has cognition it 
it is attached to an object, but it is no longer holds a body. So mm. does that mean that the wearer of this object in its corporeal and non-corporeal form <sighs> mean that it's fundamentally changed the idea of ownership? Hmm. I think probably not then. I mean, it's so hard to imagine indeed it. <laughs> fantasy. I'm trying to now picture myself in this sort of fantasy scenario more than in the real world. Because I guess before I was thinking more about the real world. But indeed, like mm -hmm. you say, we're in a fantasy world. Yeah. So then indeed they are still there and they're still, they're still impacting the world in some way, even if it's just to sit on my shoulder and nag me about <laughs> that I'm <laughs> writing it wrong. And no, the jade didn't come from that place. And what do you mean that's that kind of ornamentation? Don't be ridiculous, woman. This is not that kind of ornamentation. <laughs> I just can't get rid of him. I can't swat him away. And even though, I guess technically though, he can't like interact with it, like physically, mm -hmm. but he is still there and he is still or it, it, the person. Uh, I, guess we have I was thinking it was a female, so there you go. Very different. I, yeah, I don't know why. I suddenly <laughs> thought it was a man. Uh, but the, the person, um, <laughs> the figure, is, uh, yeah, very much still connected with the object. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah. So then I would say the ownership has not changed. Well, but it has because he can't physically interact with it. So yeah, exactly. And also, you're an archaeologist sent to do a job to excavate and record efficiently mm -hmm. this burial. So if you do what the ghost says, get your hands off my stuff, uh -huh. then we don't learn anymore. But we could learn from the ghost. Mm -hmm. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Yeah, because the ghost has the sort of, not corporeal, um, what's the opposite? The ethereal, <laughs> or, ethereal. Uh, version ethereal. of the necklace uh, yeah. on it, right? So we could mm -hmm. technically analyze it from from them. <laughs> yeah, from that perspective. And we could also yeah. learn why it was important, why it was maybe buried with them, what it was used for in life, if it in fact was used in life. We could actually cut through quite a lot of the stuff that we would do later on, kind of mm -hmm. the analysis and the microware and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because he could yeah. just tell us, oh yeah, well this this dent is where my grandma accidentally bashed it against a thing when she was hitting my granddad for betting too much on the horses and this <laughs> is something or other. And da, da, da. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's more. it then becomes more like a historical account rather than a an object yeah. analysis. So it really, it's giving you the mm -hmm. question that do spirits have the same weight of ownership and the concept of ownership and death as they would if they were alive. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would say yes, but the way that that ownership is managed has changed because they can't, they can't interact with it. So yeah. they have to almost allocate a physical representative <laughs> who can kind of be there. But that's an interesting owner. concept of interaction. So if something is owned like but i'll say a museum that's one thing i can think of and it's behind a glass mm. are people interacting with it any differently than a ghost would interact with a necklace you've actually hit on something that i think is a really <laughs> interesting point let <laughs> <laughs> me get my ted talk up <laughs> because i really love the ideas that a lot of museums do where indeed you should be able to interact with the objects because mm -hmm. the object was not made to sit behind a glass thing in, in most cases obviously there's some when then maybe they are just intended for display but majority of objects from the past were intended to be interacted with in some way and then of course some people say yeah. yes but if you interact with them constantly then eventually they will degrade and they will be nothing is that such a bad thing 
I would argue, because uh-huh. indeed you have this ghost here, <laughs> for example. Yeah. So they can tell you still, even if the physical jade object isn't there, they can show you the inverted quotes picture um, yeah. of it on themselves. They can tell you about its history because that has been learned. Like we have learned about it. Why is it so important for people to be able to touch the, or for, to, to be able to see the necklace? I think it's important to be able to touch it while it is able to be touched. But then if it, if it's gone, then it's gone. And yeah. And yeah. we know from the ghost that maybe the object was meant to be touched as well. So actually, that's to, that's going back to object biography. So mm-hmm. we're reverting back to an object that it, what its fundamental thing was, was to be touched and worn. Uh, but instead, in the museum, it's changed that kind of biography. It's meant mm-hmm. to be viewed and not interacted in the same way. No. It's interesting, though, because even when you think about ghost stories, like, for example, someone told me this ghost story recently, and I think it's really related to this episode, where there's a house in Edinburgh. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the house's name, but there's a ghost that was a kind of regiment-like soldier ghost mm-hmm. again, but an officer. And he was killed in this house and haunts the house, right? Uh-huh. But... <laughs> The house then got knocked down. And the only thing that remained of the house was the toilet. Oh. So now he haunts the toilet. Oh. <laughs> it's not that sad. Yeah. So, I'm sitting there being like, I used to command hundreds of men in battle. I know. That's what he's telling you as you're trying to pee. Yeah. He's Did like, you know? Listen to me. I was known as the butcher of the north. <laughs> yeah. I am the red coat of all red coats. <laughs> have you know? Yeah. So not great for the ghost. I mean, no. miserable afterlife. But again, that's attached to a house or a, a piece of a house. Okay. Mm. So how much of the object needs to remain in order for the ghost to remain as well? Also, there's that question of usually, I guess, when there's a ghost, the whole idea is that it's because there's something unfinished, right? Or there's something yeah. that they still need to do. So therefore, if you would just put the jade necklace behind a bit of glass in the museum, that would actually thwart the the kind of the necessity or, or of the ghost to be able to, mm. to pass on because whatever yeah. needs to be done can't be done because the jade necklace is kind of hidden away. Yeah. And maybe the very fact that you've opened up this grave has, has released the ghost. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. He, he was so, fine before. Yeah. So really the idea, if it was sent to a museum, what you would do is maybe do a replica of the grave. Hmm. That's a nice idea. Yeah. I like that idea. Yeah. yeah. And have, have it lying there because then indeed he can, sort of be at peace again. And yeah, exactly. And if you didn't do that, then it actually puts into question of how can the ghost be compensated? Because <sighs> ownership also comes with a fiscal kind of attachment. Mm. So in England and in Scotland as well, in the UK, you have portable antiquities scheme, you have fines officers, you have treasure trove, and they will often compensate a finder when they find that fee. Obviously, archaeologists don't get that fee, but with the ghost? <laughs> well, I guess it depends what the ghost wants from it because it depends yeah. how they how they see the object as well because sometimes it's not necessarily monetary value. It's like the inherent sort of almost emotional attachment yeah. to something. Yeah. So it would be, and which I guess it also relates to what we just mentioned in terms of maybe we have to do like another quest to find out what actually it is that needs to happen with this necklace maybe you know it has to be passed on to 
the remaining descendants, which I mean, if it's all the way from the Bronze Age, that's a bit tricky, but, um, you know, also something like that. Like maybe it has to be deposited in this particular bog or maybe it has to be hung on a particular tree or or something like this. Which connects to the ghost's life ways, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. So it connects to how the ghost would have acted in life, which Mm. then changes the object's agency. As well. Which we know from last oh, episode. Well. <laughs> exactly. So it becomes an instrument of the ghost rather than the object itself being an active participant in the scenario. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. So really, you're talking about social identity of material culture, what it means to have an object that is connected to a specific life way. Mm-hmm. And with having a ghost on hand means that we can actually, we can actually talk about that. <gasps> Which is very useful. Yeah, which is very useful. So I actually have another quote. Oh, excellent. (laughs) Uh, This is from Steiner, but it's actually also from the Journal of Material Culture. So if you ever want to have a look at that, I recommend it. It's got everything you need to know about material culture. And perhaps it's that Steiner says, the point is perhaps not that things are any more animated than we used to believe, but rather that they are infinitely malleable to the shifting and contested meanings constructed for them through human agency. So basically how we how an object is seen and is valued is very dependent on the people who are currently interacting with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So really, we should just ask the ghost. Very similar to... Oh, similar to the golem. Yeah, yeah to the golem. Um, we have to ask I see a it. pattern emerging. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, basically we're nice people. Yeah. Um, so I'm like really, really glad that we got that sorted, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. That was it really was... worrying for a second. Yeah, well, it was annoying me because the ghost kept, blooming, like I say, just nagging me about everything. I think he'll just continue to nag you or she will continue to nag you because... Well. I think they've ended up liking you, to be honest. Yeah, it's sort of a hate-love. <laughs> yeah, love-hate situation there. Maybe some enemies to lovers going on there. <laughs> That'll just complicate things even further, but okay. I mean, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, so, end of the scenario. You speak to the ghost, they hear your opinions, and they see how the structure of the world is a little bit different from when they left it. They're glad for your help and that you've set up this lovely museum uh, with their replica burial, and they decided to actually bestow to you the real jade (gasps) necklace. So this helps you to further your quest. It can help you in all different situations, especially in the dark. (gasps) Um, So it's been actually added to your archaeologist's inventory. Yay! Yay! (laughs) Perfect! (laughs) (laughs) Amazing! So yeah, that can help you further on. And maybe if you're scared of the dark, and we have maybe a scary, scary, scary episode, you can use the jade necklace. I can take out my jade necklace. That would be great. I will remember it. (laughs) Well, that's about it for this episode of And My Trial. We hope you enjoyed this quest. If there's any suggestions that you have for an episode, get in touch via email or our social media accounts. All contact information as well as references and further reading for all the points we've made today can be found in the show notes. Uh, Ash, what was that? I do not know, but I don't know if I want to find out. (laughs) Well, have you got your trial ready? I've always got my trial ready. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network.
visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.